That's not a joke. That's the guy's real name. I mean, I think if my name was Chip Monk, I would change my name, honestly. But Chip's a cool dude. He put together a great little mini show. Actually, it's a full episode on survival firearms. I'll let him tell you about the origins of that and the, the, the forum thread that that came from and things like that uh, instead of doing that myself. But he's a cool guy, longtime listener to the show. Uh, wanted to know if he could uh, pitch hit for me on a day when I was out. And of course, I'm up in Tennessee right now. In fact, probably getting ready to start heading south by now and maybe hang out in Arkansas for a while before we come on back down here and have enjoyed my weekend. I hope you enjoyed yours as well. Before I bring Chip on, though, for his show on survival firearms, shit hit the fan firearms, I'm going to go ahead and knock out our basic housekeeping, as always. Housekeeping item one, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by making sure the show is here for you. Uh, sponsor of the day number one, the Berkey guy with Berkey light water filtration systems. Berkey filters will make water safe to drink when it ain't safe to drink and when maybe you just don't want to drink it the way that it is, like the way it comes out of your tap full of things like fluoride and chlorine. So uh, consider getting a Berkey water filter system and consider getting it from the Berkey guy. He's one of Berkey's top distributors and there's a reason because he serves an audience like you. Uh, his primary marketing channels are all into the preparedness world, and that is because people like you think and care about their health and about their safety long term, and he knows how to serve this type of audience. And everybody that's talked to me about dealing with him has told me he has been amazing and really taken good care of them. So give, uh, give our buddy there a call up and consider getting a Berkey water filter system for your home. Next up is MERS Radio, MERS-radio.com to be exact. I love MERS radios because they provide me with security and secondary communications all rolled up into one package. Another owner-operated one-man show where he always takes care of people, doesn't have a lot of equipment, has specialized equipment, the best for the application, and knows it cold. If you need any help after you get your equipment, you make a phone call. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the owner of that company, He's going to take care of you. He's going to make it right, and he's going to make sure you know how to use your equipment. So consider MERS Radio for security and secondary communications, and consider MERS-radio.com for all your MERS needs. Check them out first because they've been supporting this show for over a year, folks. That means they are dedicated to supporting this show and this audience. Next up, want to remind you, connect with me, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I should have been tweeting at least while I've been gone and Facebooking a little bit too. I'm going to try to do more and more of that, coming back with probably quite a bit of video footage for the YouTube channel. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content only available to members, videos, discounts, free ebooks, all kinds of other stuff, and you support this show at 20 cents an episode. Knocked it out quick today. And now, without further ado, let me introduce... 
Chipmunk with his uh, standalone show on Survival Firearms. Well, greetings and welcome to a standalone episode of the Survival Podcast. My name is Chipmunk and I'm based on the beautiful Oregon coast in the Pacific Northwest. And about a week or so ago, probably a little less than that, I approached Jack with the idea of creating a standalone episode specific to one topic of interest for for while he's gone on vacation and he sent me back a, a very nice email that basically contained the phrase beep yes go for it and I found that really encouraging so I decided to, to f- sit down and figure out the right technical setup by which I could record an episode and that is what I'm going to be sharing with you today. The specific topic is survival firearms. Firearms for the end of the world as we know it and for lesser events that may crop up in our lives. If you're a member of the forum and, and if you listen to Jack regularly you should be a member of the forum. You might be aware of, of a thread in the firearms section that I began goodness probably a year and a half or so ago called for Firearms for the End of the World as We Know It and I began writing a book and I did it a little bit differently from other writing projects that I've done in the past and I actually started writing it in the forum as a series of short entries into a thread and people seem to really like it. It's had about 131,000 views on that thread and someone else uh, kind of stepped in and, and wrote a section, quite a large substantial portion of it actually, and so it's been a really nice, I think, reference point for people who are just getting into preparedness and are interested in learning about firearm topics or specific uh, tools like like guns, and um, so that thread, as I said, is in the firearm section. You can check that out if you're interested. And I'm going to refer to a lot of the same information that's in there today, although I don't have that thread in front of me. So this is going to be uh, containing this will contain a lot of in- original information as well. Before we get started, um, I do want to reference two books also that you might find useful if you're interested in, in this subject. One is an older book by Mel Tappan, written back in, I think, the 70s or even early 80s. I, I know he passed away in 1980, so it was obviously written before that, but it was published, I think, maybe in the early 80s. And it's called Survival Books by Mel Tappan, and I believe it's by Janice Press, I want to say. I actually grew up in southern Oregon, just over the mountain from where he had, had moved moved to, he felt that during that time, during the Cold War, that Southern Oregon, Northern California was one of the most survivable places to live, and so he chose to to relocate there, and it's actually the uh, the area that I grew up in. But his, his book is a wonderful reference point, even though it does not cover a lot of the firearms options available to, to someone today. Uh, he had never heard, well, I mean, he'd heard of them, but things like SKSs had not been imported yet, AKs, Mosin, Nagants, a lot of those surplus firearms, a lot of the newer things that you see on the market now, uh, you know, in, in handguns, for example, the Ruger LCR or the little kel or, you know, a lot of those sorts of things just weren't around. Uh, so he was a tried and true believer in the Colt 45, and so he covers kind of what was available in the time he was writing the book. But it's still a wonderful reference, and the general information of it on how to ch- select and, uh, you know, choose the different uh, accessories and things for for having a good workable firearms uh, collection, if you will, for different preparedness needs, is something that his book covers, you know, the general themes of that. And so it's definitely worth checking out. And I believe they're going to be republishing that very, very soon. It was out of print for a long time, and if you went to Amazon.com or places like that, you would see 
you know, $100 maybe for a copy of it, but I believe they're going to reprint it and you'll be able to get that far more cheaply uh, in the near future if it's not already available. Also a book called Boston's Gun Bible by Boston Tea Party, that's his writing name, uh, is very helpful. It's geared more towards kind of a libertarian uh, viewpoint on firearms ownership. But it also covers a lot of, of important things about selecting and, and having usable firearms for different needs that could arise uh, relating to preparedness topics, even though that's not necessarily why he wrote the book. But it does cover a lot of those things. And you can find that on Amazon.com or just about anywhere. And that's a, a very helpful book. So anyways, with that, let's go ahead and jump right into the subject. Um, and the, the basic idea is firearms as tools for preparedness. And there's generally two basic categories that I would divide, you know, guns as tools into. I'm not particularly a gun nut in the sense of, you know, the guys that sleep next to their 30-30 or make jokes about, oh, if I had to give up my wife or my guns, I'd give up my wife or whatever. I'm not that kind of person, but I am an avid shooter. I do hunt. Actually, just recently returned to hunting this past a year after a few years away from it. Um, and, and I do like target shooting. My wife and I both like target shooting. She grew up shooting black powder firearms. And so f- for her, modern centerfire firearms and 22 rim fires are kind of extra fun because she, she grew up with a, a bit of a different perspective on that. But what I want to look at is treating guns as tools. And really what it comes down to is you need different tools for different jobs. And not everybody can start out with a huge firearms collection that's going to do everything they will ever need it to do during their life. And I recognize that. So what I want to do is provide two different strands of information today. One is information for someone who's brand new, a novice, who may now just have come across the Survival Podcast and is just now kind of feeling okay with the economy, with all the earthquakes going on throughout the world, all these different potential natural disasters, the BP oil spill. They're, They're thinking that something's weirds going on and they want to make sure that they're prepared to to not only procure food if they need to hunt or, or whatnot um, but they also want to make sure they can prepare uh, to protect their family and if if you are familiar with things that happened in Katrina or the 1992 LA riots you probably already are thinking okay there needs to be some sort of solution in my preparedness plan for protecting my family, defending my family if needed. And so that person who's a complete novice, I hope, will benefit from this this standalone podcast. Also, the person who's maybe a firearms expert, uh, lifelong shooter, hunter, whatever, I hope that you will still find some interesting things uh, in this that will will teach you something maybe you didn't already know. I'm not claiming to be an expert by any means, but I'm, I've my whole life been interested in, in survival topics and survival firearms, so I've read just about every book and magazine article dating back to magazines that were available in the 80s like Survive and uh, SWAT, which was sur- uh, Survival Weapons and Tactics, I believe it was the name of it, magazine back in the in the 80s that my dad collected, and also American Survival Guide and some of those things. So this is built on a lot of, of information I've read, some experience I have personally, and you know I just kind of want to share that with you. But uh, anyways, there are two different major areas of firearm, you know, procurement or things that you would need to get and own a firearm for. One would be for hunting, and if you've listened to Jack's uh, podcast in the past, he's talked about everything from hunting squirrels to hunting, you know, using shotguns for hunting. I think he did a specific episode on shotgun hunting, small game and birds and things like that. So I'm going to stay fairly general as far as those specific topics, but hunting, you know, a working gun as as it was called by Mel Tappan, 
but uh, that's kind of one area. And then also for defense, firearms for defense. And there's three major types of firearms, maybe four if you really want to get picky and specific. We're going to look at handguns, rifles, which I by that I mean centerfire rifles, shotguns, and then rimfires. And rimfires are basically your 22s, uh, and that can include things that shoot down to 22 short, CB cap, that sort of thing, up to 22 magnum. I suppose nowadays it would also include the various 17 caliber um, rimfires as well. So that's what we're going to look at is those four categories. We'll talk a little bit about ammunition, maybe a little bit about modifications, maintenance you need to do, but I want this to be a an overview that will cover enough information for you to get started on firearms ownership, but also will will help you if, if you're already a grizzled veteran uh, when it comes to guns. And one quick caveat that Jack always mentions whenever he talks about firearms that I should also mention is get training. First and foremost, even if it's just someone who's a friend or a family member who's knowledgeable about firearms, have them go out with you to the range or you know to a gravel pit somewhere where it's okay, it's not going to bother anyone if you go shooting, and have them teach you how to safely handle, load, and unload, break down, clean, maintain a, a firearm. Because if you don't do that, you, you can put yourself at risk, and you can give, as Jack has said before, I keep referring back to him since this is his podcast, but um, he, he has said in the past, you know, don't make the government come in and, and, and force us to to do some of these things when it comes to firearms and, and take more of a invasive you know role in in our lives just do it yourselves make sure that you understand what you're doing and you can safely own and store and have accessible when you need it firearms for whatever reason that might come up so let's first talk about um, handguns we're going to just jump right in i've already spent several minutes just kind of setting the groundwork. So let's just talk about uh, starting with handguns. There's two different categories. A defensive, that'd be hunting. I'm sorry, that would be like protecting yourself. And then working handguns, which would be hunting. I kind of misspoke there, but even that can be divided into there's two basic types of firearms. Uh, one would be auto pistols, semi-automatic pistols, and those are things like your Bretas, your um, your Glocks, your Springfields, your um, 1911s, all those sorts of things. And there's many, many different calibers available from the 25 ACP, which is kind of a little pipsqueak caliber, although I wouldn't volunteer to be shot with it to see what it hurts like, um, all the way up to your really big uh, 44 Magnums and beyond, 454 Casuals and uh, 500 you know, caliber. I mean, there's some really large ones. Um, but we're going to talk about the, you know, the stopping power, the different calibers available, and, and just some of the choices that are available now, and how to choose what's best for you. Now, I understand that there are people, and I can tell when I listen to the call-in shows that Jack has, there are people from all over the country, indeed, there's people all over the world that listen to the Survival Podcast, and there are young uh, women who don't really have much experience and background, and there's uh, guys who are in their 70s who have uh, shot guns since they were four or five years old. You know, there's a wide range of people here, so one solution is not going to be best for every single person. However, the general ideas or the general principles can probably apply to uh, just about anything. Uh, so let's just look first at uh, what do you need a, a handgun for? Well, you hear people sometimes talk about, well, your handgun's only to fight your way to your rifle. And that sort of makes sense to some extent. If you know that you're going to be in a firefight, and God willing, none of us ever will be, but with kind of an unknown future, who knows? But if you're 
prepared for something, you're going to have a rifle with you or a shotgun or whatever tool is going to best serve that need. You're not going to have a handgun. But there are times and throughout most of our lives where, you know, even if we're a concealed carry holder, we have a concealed weapons license like I do, um, you're only going to have a pistol with you. You can't just always have your AR-15 or your hunting rifle strapped on over your shoulder. So it, it does make sense in that it's the one tool you can have with you most of the time. Now, I would also say a caveat here to always follow whatever the laws are for your area. There are a couple states that do not have concealed carry, so even if you in your state can get that, um, you know that isn't available to everyone, but even if you have that, there are federal buildings and courthouses and police stations and places that are posted to not have you know firearms carried into them. So ob- obey all those applicable rules uh, for the protection of yourself from legal issues as well as just you know keeping keeping this uh, what I believe to be a right available to all of us. It shouldn't be mandated and ha- you know have things con- you know controls placed on it anyways. But since there are those present and, and we try to live as preparedness people, as uh, law-abiding citizens, you know, adhere to those laws. But you're gonna more likely if you're even if you're out on your homestead somewhere and you're uh, t- dealing with something, you're, you're out in your garden or you're out picking blueberries or something. You're probably gonna be more apt to have a, a handgun on you. So let's look at some of the options you have. Now there's different calibers available. Uh, the more common calibers for the auto pistols or the semi-automatic pistols are things like 9mm, 40 SNW, uh, 45 ACP. And you're not going to go wrong in most cases with buying a brand name, recognizable brand, a good quality company in one of those calibers. I prefer 9mm because it's cheapest to shoot. There are those who think it's an underpowered round, um, but because of some of its advantages, I actually consider uh, owning a a firearm in that caliber to to be best for me. There's not a lot of recoil with it. I have owned uh, 40 SNW and 45 ACP pistols, and they just weren't quite right for me. Um, but I know some people that swear by them, and that's all that they're ever going to to use. So for me, a 9mm, and specifically, uh, there are some models. I always wanted a Beretta 92, and I owned one, and, and I liked it okay. But I found that the Taurus model of, of the of the Beretta 92, uh, the, which is the same as the M9 that our military uses, I found that the Taurus model had a couple extra features with the ability to carry it cocked and locked and things like that that I really liked, and so I, I actually ended up going with the Taurus PT-92. So that's one specific model that I like in 9mm, as well as the Glock 17 and 19. I consider those to be especially the 19 as far as something that's relatively compact and sort of a medium-sized frame, and it holds 15 rounds. The 17 holds 17 rounds, and can also you can also get 9mm um, magazines for the Glocks, factory magazines that are 31 or 33 round. I've seen them listed as both. I've had a couple, and uh, I never try to fill them completely full anyways, but it's kind of nice to be able to stick that long magazine in the bottom and have a few extra rounds, uh, even if you're just out plinking at the range. But I consider 9mm for me to be ideal. A lot of people would say it's underpowered, so then what do they consider in that case? Well, then they start to look at 40 S&W, and Jack did a did I think a call-in show or it was one of the shows where he covered multiple topics and he said he's not a real big fan of the 40 because it it is kind of a middling caliber in the sense that 
yeah, it has higher capacity than 45s, but not as much stopping power. And he, you know, he talked about it's just his personal preference, whereas it's still a very fine round, he said. And I feel somewhat the same way. Um, I sort of identified with the 9mm early on, and so that's kind of what I stuck with. At the same time, 45 uh, is a little more powerful. You can pretty much use 230 grain full metal jacket bullets and get the, the kind of stopping power you're looking for without even needing any sort of expanding round. And, and for that reason, a lot of people really like their their 45s. The, uh, the 1911 is probably one of the most accessorized and modified and, you know, one of the kinds of handguns that you can get the most bells and whistles for. And that's a model that dates back to Browning back in the early, early 1900s. And it's been proven through World War One, World War Two, And uh, I actually, there's a guy that I, I interacted with a couple months ago who's a cop here in my area, works with the county um, sheriff's office, and he carries a 1911. And so, you know, I, I see it's still used by law enforcement and, and military uh, has applications for it as well. So the 45, you know, you, your 1911 is going to be your most common platform in that caliber. But there are other platforms you can you can get it in. Glock uh, offers some a couple different models in 45. Um, Taurus has a little fairly compact pistol called the PT-145 that I, I previously owned and traded off for something, but I, I, I kind of liked it. It, it was uh, slipped right into my, my pocket and was kind of nice for, for carry stuff, and it actually holds 10 rounds in its magazine, plus one in the chamber if you choose to, to carry in the chamber. Uh, and, you know, that's pretty good firepower. That's actually more than a 1911 with a traditional magazine holds. Now, I would say one thing. Here's kind of a chance to interject my opinion a little bit. Uh, when I first, I bought the PT, uh, PT 145 45 ACP Taurus pistol brand new and, but I found brand new from the factory it didn't work. It actually, there was something messed up with its, um, safety. It has this little safety thing built in, the Taurus security system I think it's called, and it actually was broken from the factory and, and uh, that kind of made me, I guess, a little leery to ever carry that again. Although we got it working, a gunsmith was able to fix it and, and get it working. And, and once it worked, it, it was great. But it I don't know, it just never was something I felt like I could completely depend on anymore. So I did end up trading it. Um, although, you know, again, it, it was, I'm not impugning the quality of Taurus products at all. I, I do own a couple other Tauruses and really like them. But you want to pick something that's going to not only work for you, but you're going to feel confident in if you ever have to deploy it in a survival or a self-defense or any kind of situation. And, you know, a survival situation, when we talk about that, often we mean, okay, everything's in disarray and we can't count on the police to, to come help us or anything like that. And, and it's our life on the line. And if that's ever the case, and I pray to God it is never the case, but if that ever arises that sort of situation in our nation or wherever it is that you live uh, you know having a tool at hand that you're confident in that you've practiced you've trained with is going to make a significant difference in your comfort level in dealing with something like that so anyways uh, dealing with defensive firearms uh, specifically handguns you know you need to find something that is a good fit for you you may not have a lot of money and if that's the case then there's a line of firearms called high points uh, from a company, I believe they're in Ohio. Uh, they have a great warranty. I've owned a couple of their of their um, pistols, and I don't know. They're just kind of big, clunky. They look kind of like power tools. They've got this big, heavy slide uh, on them, and I, you know, I I thought that they were great for what they were, but they actually, for me personally, weren't as needed. In, I guess in my survival battery, so I I ended up trading them off for something that was a little more useful for me. 
but they can be a, a really good low low expense option. You can sometimes find them under a hundred dollars, uh, depending on what part of the country you live in, and they have a wonderful warranty. And Jack's mentioned them on on the show before, so I won't spend much more time with them. But basically, they will repair no matter whether you're the first owner or the twentieth owner. They will repair uh, any firearm that they make. Uh, you can send it into them, and they will they will fix it and send it back to you. And sometimes they'll throw in extra clips or or whatever, just kind of for your troubles. So um, High Point's one one line of American-made, where you can buy brand new, low expense uh, pistols for for defensive purposes. You can also buy. Uh, there's a whole bunch of of choices you can can uh, look through from surplus firearms, and these are things like the um, Russian Makarovs that you can get in the 9x18 Makarov caliber, which is probably about the lowest I would go for a defensive caliber, that or, or 380 ACP, which is maybe a little less powerful. But at least with 380 ACP, you can get specifically self-defense loads. And, and I just recently saw in the Shotgun News that they were making available some um, hollow point you know, type ammunition for the, the 9x18 Makarov. But uh, that caliber... Is, is something you can find surplus uh, Makarov pistols in. Also the Bulgarian, there's a Bulgarian pistol, I think it's the PA-63 that I've shot before that is um, kind of modeled after the Walther pistols and it looks kind of like James Bond's little little gun and um, they, that comes in 9x18 too and because it's an aluminum frame, pretty light little pistol, it has a lot of recoil. I can usually only shoot, you know, maybe a dozen rounds or so before the inside of my hand starts to really pay for it. So, uh, you know, that's one option. Uh, there's some of the CZ pistols that you can sometimes buy very cheaply and those come in different calibers from the really zippy 762 by 25 uh, caliber. Um, and I, th- I think you can sometimes find uh, the Takarev pistols in that caliber as well that have been imported, and they also make that, that inex- relatively inexpensive Takarev pistol available in 9mm, uh, the Norinko models. I used to own actually a, a couple um, of those pistols in 9mm, and they were really pretty dependable. They kind of felt a little bit like some of the Browning designs, um, like the 1911s, but they're Russian, a Russian-made design. And then there are other inexpensive pistols um, that you can find sometimes. And again, I'm still talking about the semi-automatics um, that you can pick up. You know, some some that have you know older models of the Smith and Wesson pistols. And you know, there's just a few different models. Uh, some people do prefer the more the high-end type uh, choices, and those would be you know your Springfield XDs and things like that, your H and Ks, and you know those have a lot of great. Uh, aspects to them but they're quite a bit more expensive you know $500 and up is what you're looking at so you know if you have a a budget that you're trying to stick within and you really need to keep your costs down you know you can go to pawn shops you can look on places like gun broker see if your state has a firearms forum where people can legally buy and sell and trade through there in in the state i live in um you can within the the confines of the state you can uh, buy face to face or sell face to face um, with someone who's also a citizen of your state, and you know that's a, a way to without you know going and spending more money to buy something brand new, you can go and and buy what you're looking for and what you need. So look online, see if there are forums for your area, and make sure your state allows within the state um, face-to-face sales is what they're usually called. Um, but th- those higher end options are for you there too if you have a little bit more money, and you know some people. 
you know, only feel like they need to have one pistol. I kind of like a little bit of redundancy. So let's say I've chosen the nine millimeter caliber. Well, I'd like to have at least two platforms in that, you know, maybe something like a Glock and then a lesser expensive pistol as a backup, you know, maybe one of the imported nine millimeter uh, surplus pistols, like some of the stars uh, that, that were made in nine millimeter that look kind of like a 1911, uh, but they're quite a bit cheaper and, and they'll have those available oftentimes in nine millimeter for quite a, quite a bit cheaper than what you'd pay for, you know, your full price, full size uh, handgun. But look for something that works for you. And, and if you're more interested in the concealed aspect of that, well, look for a little pocket pistol or something small like a car or one of the Keltex or something like that, the, the newer model um, that have become available from Ruger like the, the LCP. Uh, look for something like that in typically in a smaller caliber like 380 ACP, uh, but find something that works for you. One thing I suggest is go and get a, take an opportunity, take the time to handle something. Don't just buy it sight unseen, um, but handle something. Go to a gun store uh, where you feel like the guys know what they're talking about and get your hands on, feel something. Go to the range, find a range in your area, even if you're not a member, and, and place, some of the places will actually rent you firearms and go out and try them out. Find out what works for you. My wife recently took a concealed carry class at the range that we're a part of and um, she shot a couple firearms and just knew immediately they were not for her. I think one was a Springfield, and it just didn't feel right. She had a hard time racking the slide, and it just didn't work for her. And so she opted for something else that she felt pretty comfortable with. And so, you know, there's a lot of choices. Find something that works for you. Uh, go online, Google self-defense handguns or, or whatever, and, and just look through what's available, and then pick out a couple that look interesting to you. And, you know, you'll find that there is a defensive pistol that will be ideal for you, that will work perfect for you. Now, there are also defensive pistols available that are not autoloaders that are in what we call the revolver platform. And those are basically usually five or six, some now are seven or eight shot. Um, old, they, you know, they're based on, modeled on the old uh, six guns that we see in the old West movies. But these are all you know all modern they have all sorts of of different uh, new developments that have that have happened in the last you know 100 years of revolver design and you can get good dependable high powered uh, medium powered even lower powered uh, cartridges available in these platforms and they can be perfect defensive or what you would call a working gun the, depending on your needs because they come in small you know five shot uh really subcompact type pistols um some of the 38 specials and and those sorts of things and there's everything from the Smith and Wesson and Taurus 38 special five shots all the way up to the really big powerful uh you know the Model 29 Dirty Harry 44 Magnum and even more powerful revolvers than that these days and you may notice I sometimes interchangeably use pistol and and revolver but generally I think of pistols as you know semi-automatics and revolvers as you know the, the things with the revolving cylinders and both of them kind of fall under the category of, of handguns. Uh, so don't let that distract you if, if you hear me kind of use that interchangeably. But a revolver, uh, to me, has some advantages in that typically they, they're really dependable, can last a long time. You can pick up an old Smith & Wesson or an old Ruger. I kind of like the Security 6 or the Service 6 models from the you know, from when I was a kid, my dad had one of those, and and it was the first uh, higher-powered pistol I shot, and it just seemed kind of dependable and rugged, and like you could strap it on your hip and go out in the woods, and you had it available if you needed it. And so, you know, there's a lot of choices there, but uh, again, the same rule applies. Look at uh, what is best 
going to serve your needs. Uh, for me, I, I go out and I like to hike and I like to go hunting and stuff. And I uh, am sometimes in bear country. Now, where I live in Oregon does does not have the really big bears, the grizzlies or the brown bears. Uh, what we have are black bears that are typically not that large. But I still feel better if I lay my rifle down to step over somewhere to, you know, use the facilities, so to speak, out in the woods. Uh, that that if something were to come up and surprise me, um, that I would have that. Uh, 44 Magnum strapped to my hip, and I, I kind of like that feeling. Uh, but ha- but that's a lot bigger, more powerful firearm than what a lot of people would feel comfortable shooting. So if you are looking for a working, so to speak, uh, handgun, you might find that a 357 Magnum or 38 Special is perfect for what you need. But as far as working guns, what you're looking for is something you could use for hunting if you needed to, something you could use for dispatching pests in your garden or, you know, just to have when you're out in the woods uh, if something were to surprise you. We have mountain lions and cougars in the area where I live, and uh, when I'm out hiking, I feel better knowing that I've got something with me that I could use if if I were to be surprised by, by something like that. So, it's a pretty simple thought, really, as far as working handguns, but what you want is something dependable that, that you're not really thinking in terms of defense, although you can use it for that if needed, but you're you're going to have it available for um, hunting-type needs, uh, for procuring food, or to have when you're working on you know some of the other things that your preparedness plan may entail, such as gardening. Uh, you may not be able to have that... 308 or 30-06 or 7mm Magnum rifle strapped to your back all the time when you're bending over all the time or you know doing things out in your garden, uh, it's just not very practical. So having a, a good, dependable revolver on your side can make a lot of difference. And uh, let me just say that also the accessories you choose for those, I'm not really into all the accessories and the tactical gear and that sort of thing, but it can make a big difference what kind of holster you have for a handgun. That can help a ton when when you're trying to make it comfortable to wear, especially if you're going to be wearing it for long hours. If you're going to be hiking a lot, you don't want it pulling down your pants. And I've had that happen before where I didn't choose a very good belt. And so I had this 44 Magnum Model 29 pulling at my drawers a little bit as I'm out hiking in the woods. And, you know, frankly, it wasn't a very comfortable feeling. So, you know, look at the accessories, the best types of of uh, holsters you can select and and uh, you know look at the the right kinds of belts and any other kind of you know web gear and stuff like that when it comes to how you're going to make best use of of your handguns and you'll find that that really will make a difference and like I said I'm not really into that kind of stuff but I know when I need something like that and that's when I go and seek out what my options are for things like that now, uh, really quickly, I've already mentioned the fact that you need to choose what's best for you, but I would like to talk about the different calibers available. And I'm just going to kind of quickly run up through the handgun calibers, and then I'm going to move on to centerfire rifles. And this is kind of a cursory overview of, of this topic for the purpose of really just acquainting you with what's available. And if there's an interest, um, I'd, I'd be uh, quite willing to record a little more specific kind of information, uh, maybe do a couple podcasts, make them available online somewhere if people were interested, on specific models uh, in addition to just some of the ones I've briefly mentioned, um, and go a little bit more in depth. But I kind of wanted to do an introductory overview, and if I spend too much time on each topic, well, that's not going to allow me to get to everything. So uh, as part of that, let me just touch on the different handgun calibers that are available. Um, you you have a lot of choices, as I said, ranging from even 22 rimfires. Some people, that's all that they 
they can physically handle, and that's what they select as a defensive handgun or a, a working handgun. And those have utility and probably should have a place in your battery, but I wouldn't completely depend on them if it were me. Um, you know, I would I would definitely select something with a little more oomph behind it. But the, the basic calibers you're going to be looking at when it comes to handguns are your 25 ACPs, which are pretty small bullets. Really, I, if it were me, I'd probably select a 22 long rifle over a, a 25 ACP. My dad owned a little Raven when I was growing up, so I have some familiarity with that caliber, but I've just never really been a big fan of it. Uh, moving up a little bit would be your 32 ACP, and that's a little bit more more power behind it, but not terribly so. I mean, I, I don't consider that to be even the minimal level of, of uh, defensive or working uh, pistol caliber, although, you know, if it's all you have, it's better than uh, shouting insults or uh, poking someone with a stick. Then you have things like 32 SNW long, which is a little bit more oomph uh, behind it, using the oomph factor, I guess, to kind of describe some of these. And then you get up to what I consider your minimal defensive calibers, your 380 ACPs. Uh, recently, I heard on Tom Gresham's Gun Talk uh, podcast, and if it, or show, it's actually a radio show that's also offered as a podcast at www.guntalk.com. But uh, he talked about how re- recently, the last couple years, some of the 380 loads, defensive loads that are offered, have really made that a much better performing caliber. So you might look into to that. Um, I actually like the little Caltech P3 you know type pistols that are really really small 380 ACPs and uh, you can get good Corbon loads or or different uh, specifically designed self defense loads and you might find that that would actually be a workable defensive load I wouldn't suggest it as a working caliber because it really is just not powerful enough then you get up into your uh, 38 special 38 SNW kind of of load and that's you know that was used for many years as a police load, but I, I personally like to go a little more powerful than that, like the 357 Magnum. It's good. I think it's a wise choice if you do select a revolver. In uh, you know you want a little bit more flexibility of use. Well, get a 357 Magnum because it will also shoot 38 special rounds, and you can even get the small pocket pistols that traditionally come in 38 special. You can get those in 357 Magnum as well. And then you have the option of using the lower powerful load, uh, lower power load in the 38 special, or you have the option of a little bit more power uh, in the 357 Magnum. And that's actually what my wife, what we purchased for her when she decided to get her CCW, little five shot Taurus uh, 357 Magnum that we actually use Hornady um, 38 special loads in it uh, because we consider those to be what adequate and not too much recoil for her, but we have the option to go up a li- with a little bit more power. Uh, there's also that option in the 44 Magnum 48, 44 Specials. You can get the 44 Magnum and then choose to shoot a little bit lesser powerful load in the 44 Specials. And then I did kind of skip over um, the 9mm because I've already talked about that somewhat. I think a 9mm with some good self-defense loads, core bonds or um, gold dot or uh, the Hornady uh, loads, um, critical defense loads, things like that. The 9mm is actually, for my needs, a very good caliber. Um, you can also find, and I'll, I'll probably get to this in a little bit, but uh, pistol caliber carbines in 9mm, like the Keltex, like the uh, MP5 clones, like the high point carbines, the 995 carbines, um, you can find those pistol caliber carbines, and Jack's done a whole episode on pistol, ca- pistol caliber carbines, so you can check that out. Um, but 
there's a, quite a lot available in that caliber as well, so I kind of glossed over that a little bit. And I also skipped the 40 S&W, the 10mm Magnum, and the 41 Magnum when I went right to the 44 Magnum, 44 Specials. But those are also really uh, good calibers, um, depending, again, on your needs. Some people really like the 40 S&W cartridge, which I mentioned earlier because a lot of police carry those Glock 22s and so they think that ammo commonality and and the ability to maybe get ammo in the future could be very helpful. Now I would say one thing during the ammo shortage of 2008-2009 whenever I'd go to a Walmart or a regional store that's like Walmart we have called Bymart in the Pacific Northwest they almost always had 40 S&W even when they were out of 9mm or 45 ACP or 357 Magnum so in that sense it might be worth owning a firearm in 40 S&W because for whatever reason it seemed like ammo was a plenty during during the 2008-2009 time period. Um, the 10mm I think would be a great caliber. Uh, there's a couple different platforms it comes in, the Glock uh, 20 and the, there's a ver- variants of the 1911 that it comes in and there's a f- you know, few other choices. But it's a pretty powerful round. I believe Ted Nugent actually hunts with that, does some handgun hunting with that. Uh, and there are probably others who also <laughs> choose to, to employ that. But it's got a lot of, of uh, kick to it. And so, you know, some people kind of opt for the 40 S&W, which is essentially a, a cut-down version of the 10mm um, uh, caliber. But I would say one thing about the 10mm. You could probably consider yourself uh, filling both the defensive firearm and the and the working gun uh Category in your in your self defense or you know self defense slash working um, preparedness plan if you had one of those because it would work probably just as good for for hunting type needs that might come up as as uh, it would for defense because it's a pretty powerful round. However, ammunition is going to be a lot more expensive and with a lot of recoil, you may not want to go out and practice with it as much as you would with something that's not going to hurt your wrist as much. Now, let me also just interject here really quickly. If you have the option, you're always going to be hunting with a rifle um, or a rimfire if it's small game or a shotgun if if you're you know trying to get birds on the wing or whatnot. But Sometimes you're going to possibly face being relegated to just what's hanging on your hip, and with that in mind, that's why I say, you know, that working pistol or working handgun, uh, working revolver is something that you should at least think about. And not a lot of people, you know, necessarily have lots of money to throw at that either. So you can look for a, a pretty inexpensive uh, handgun, even in in the 38s and and um, 357 Magnums and, and some of those calibers. I would qualify that though with a kind of a warning some of the what I would call potluck brands some of the um, the companies that you know I don't want to necessarily use specific names but there are some companies that are based in California in the past that have churned out lots of different um, guns in the 9mm 40 SNW calibers and and even some in, in you know 22 revolvers and things like that that are not very dependable. I've seen them break after a few shots and I really would not uh, recommend them. Although I would feel perfectly comfortable with something like a High Point, which is also a lesser expensive lower end firearm. Uh, but you could listen to something like the Handgun Podcast. Um, which is actually a really interesting podcast to check out if you've never done that. And the guy who hosts that show is really, really not a fan of High Point. So it really, you, a lot of times you're going to find with firearms uh, situations and, and discussions and topics, people have kind of their own perspective. So, and lastly, I, I didn't quite get to the 45 ACP or the 45 Colt, but I would consider those to be very much, uh, 
you know, calibers that are going to do either as working or as defensive loads. You can get pretty potent 45 uh, Colt, sometimes called 45 long Colt. Uh, you can get pretty potent um, rounds available in that in that uh, caliber. Although you can also get some of the really low end, not loaded, very hot. Um, kinds of of, of uh, rounds too and those are not going to be you know they're going to be more for cowboy action shooting and things like that uh, so you know the 45 Colt has a lot of variants you can have pretty mild loads or really powerful loads like if you're toting uh, one of those Taurus judges that also shoot the 410 um you know, uh, shotgun rounds. And then I, I had already talked about the 45 ACP that's kind of the 1911 caliber you can sometimes pick up uh, former military revolvers in that caliber too, like the 1917s or or whatever models that are also in 45 um, ACP, and they you know have a pretty good amount of power behind them because they're shooting a really big bullet. It's kind of going slow, but you're putting a lot of you're dumping a lot of energy into your target, and, and uh, whether that's an animal or a two-legged predator of some sort. Uh, most people are pretty confident that that's that's uh, going to be enough energy for what you need. So there are those who also look at the 45 ACPs, like in a 1911 platform, as being conducive to use for both a defensive and working handgun. So sometimes, you know, you can actually look at the situation and say, you know, I can buy one gun that will meet multiple needs. But just like in golf, you wouldn't go golfing with only a driver and leave your irons or, you know, your putter behind. You know, there are different needs and different niches in your survival battery that you need to consider. And not everyone can afford to, to buy lots of them. So here at the end, I'll, I'll give kind of recommendations for kind of a four or five gun battery that will pretty much meet most of your needs. So with that, I've already gone about 40 minutes with this whole thing, and I've only talked about pistols, so I may end up uh, having to uh, either combine this with, you know, you'll break this down a little bit more, or, um, well, you know, tell you what, I'm just going to dive right in, and I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. This may go over an hour, uh, and Jack will have to decide how he wants to use it, and, and whether he, you know, wants to break it down a little bit as well. But uh, let's just go ahead and jump right to centerfire rifles. Uh, there have been podcasts that Jack's done on, um, you know, kind of a general overview of, of uh, rifles and what's available to you. He's also done some specific things uh, like p- uh, a show on pistol caliber carbines or a show on, you know, the 22 and, and uh, using the 22. You know, so there, there's some things like that you can find that go more in depth. But well, what do you need a rifle for in, in a survival or preparedness battery? Well, basically, you have the same two general issues that you have with uh, handguns and that is something uh, for protecting yourself and your family if there's ever a situation you'll think back the Rodney King riots where you had the Korean shop owners walking around with their SKS's Um, basically uh, the rioters and and looters were not going down the streets where those guys were and so that was kind of a time when just presenting a firearm without firing a shot was sufficient to uh, dissuade those who had you know evil intentions for those for those guys who were were holding onto those guns, um, so defensive role is one, and then also uh, to be able to procure food, to get food, to go out hunting or small game hunting, and uh, you know get food in a in an emergency situation. Now I will say this, and this is something that has been mentioned in in the survival podcast a number of times. If you're counting on not stocking up food, but just running out to the hills and capping Bambi when the poop hits the fan. Uh, 
I'm afraid that's probably not a very reasonable thought. Now, if you live in an area where there aren't a lot of people, you know, you're in northern Idaho or something, you might have a little bit better chance of doing that. But uh, if you study what happened in the Great Depression, you've probably encountered the thought before, and I've actually heard this, I don't know if it's anecdotal evidence, but during the Great Depression, deer in this country were hunted almost to extinction because people were trying to put food on the table and they weren't really paying all that much attention to whatever the the laws on hunting or the, the hunting game seasons were. And so, you know, I wouldn't be completely reliant on that idea of going out and hunting for food. But in the neighborhoods that you know that some of us live in that are more rural or even if we live out in the country there probably are some some possibilities and some prospects where you might be able to to get some food in an emergency situation that way and at the very least you should probably plan for it even if you know you, you can't really be guaranteed of that and that's one reason why when we get to to talk about rim fires uh the 22 is such a handy and useful uh, caliber because you can stock up lots of it you can still now for under 20 bucks go and buy uh you know, 500, 550 rounds of ammo in, in the, in the, um, 22 long rifle caliber. And you can probably, if you're not afraid and un- unwilling to eat things like raccoons or possums or squirrels, you could probably put some, some food on your table. And I have a feeling if any of us are ever hungry enough, and granted we should plan ahead and stock up and, and, uh, you know, try to have renewable food resources like gardening and things like that that have been covered on the survival podcast, but, I think if we're hungry enough, we're going to eat pretty much whatever is set before us. So uh, realistically, I think that, you know, we should plan at least for the ability to do some hunting if needed. Uh, so let's let's first look at hunting and then we'll look at defense, um, defensive uses for a centerfire rifle. And by centerfire, I mean a, it shoots a caliber that uses a primer, not not a rimfire where the primer is built into the rim of the of the cartridge, but an actual centerfire uh, rifle, which is anything from you know a 22 Hornet, which Jack's talked about, and he he really likes that caliber, up to the really powerful magnums, you know your 300 Winchester magnum, 338 Winchester, uh, I'm sorry 338. Um, I guess that would still be Winchester Magnum, up to your Lapua's and your 50 uh, Browning machine gun caliber centerfires, which are those really big, powerful uh, rifles that are good for shooting at a, something a mile away. Um, but there, there's a lot of variation, and you've got so many choices. I mean, we would spend hours just talking through the different calibers available for you. So I'm just quickly going to run through, as far as working calibers, that means things that are useful for hunting, um, let me just quickly run through some of the, the more popular calibers. You've got your 22 Hornet, which is an older cartridge that's kind of been forgotten uh, somewhat, but very useful on um, you know small game and and you know your your little pests and varmints and things like that. Uh, really a very useful caliber, especially if you hand load. And Jack did an episode not too long back where he talked about some kind of forgotten calibers, and it's worth listening to. Uh, he covers a number of calibers there, so I'm not going to necessarily cover all those. But uh, really quickly, let me uh, springboard from the 22 Hornet up to the 23 Remington, which is functionally uh, similar or identical. Uh, you'll read online some some minor differences between the two cartridges, but to the military 5.56 caliber, and uh, they're pretty much interchangeable uh, in, in a general sense, but you know, look that up and make sure your specific uh, rifle is, is safe to use uh, them interchangeably. But that's the military round, and it's also very useful for small game at a distance. I wouldn't want to use it on 
uh, deer, uh, larger deer at least, and maybe uh, if I was close in and, and could go for a headshot, um, I might be okay. In our state, it is allowed, but many states do not allow you to hunt with anything below like a 243 Winchester, which is the next caliber up from there. And the 243 Winchester, I have a good buddy that hunts with that. Some people think it's, you know, kind of a, a minuscule round, but it's actually, you know, pretty good for, for deer in the parts of the country that, that I live in. They're really big mule deer and elk and things like that. You'd probably want something a little more powerful than that. So a 270 Winchester, um, you know, and up from there is probably, if you think you're going to be hunting bigger stuff, what you're kind of looking for. And then, you know, interspersed, you've gonna, you're gonna have things like your 3030, which is not a really long-ranged caliber, but is, in my opinion, a pretty good deer caliber, uh, within, you know, a couple hundred rounds, uh, I'm sorry, a couple hundred yards. I think the 3030 is a very good, um, round. And you can actually now, from Hornady, you can get something called the Lever Revolution line of rounds, and that actually is optimized for lever actions, but it has more of a, you know, kind of a pointed tip. It has like a little polymer inserted tip, and that gives you even more range with the 3030. And because you can find them all over America, you can go into any backwoods uh, mom and pop you know store and probably find 3030. If they have ammo, they're probably going to have 3030 and 30 and you know, and 12 gauge ammo and 22 long rifle ammo. You know, so that that's one of the reasons to look for commonality of cartridges and, and calibers and make sure that you're going to be able to get a hold of ammo if you need it. Your best idea, though, is to just stock up on it, get it when you can, when the, the world's reasonably sane and safe. You know, buy now. Buy now for the rest of your life, because this the ammo will last a very long time. And if you keep it dry and cool, you know, you're probably going to be, you, your grandchildren could shoot a lot of the, the ammo that you would buy today. Um, so anyways, moving on to the, the last few calibers that I, I really think are worth looking at. You know, your 308, which is the same as a 7.62 NATO round. Again, functionally the same, but you need to look and see, because there are some cautions about shooting uh, factory 308 loads in, you know, some surplus 308 rifles, or, or some surplus 7.62 NATO rifles, I should say. Um, like some of the Mausers that have Im- been imported from Spain and things like that. Um, but that's a really good all-around uh, rifle cartridge, in fact, to the point where that caliber is starting to become, in my mind, the best center fire, you know, multi-use uh, cart- or caliber of cartridge that you can get. I'm starting to really believe that. Um, and I did hunt last year with a 308 uh, hunting rifle, sporting rifle, but you can also get some defensive rifles in that caliber that we'll talk about in a minute. The 30-06 is a tried and true standby, and and you can buy lots of different rifles in that in that caliber. Many platforms are in that caliber. It's one of the most ubiquitous or widespread uh, cartridges available around the world, so that that has some use for it. And it's actually, from my experience, a little bit longer range than the 308. The 308 was kind of, you know, brought brought into being to be a little bit more compact, but still have a lot of the characteristics of a 30-06. So I I consider 30-06 to be a great caliber even if the 308 may have stolen some of its its thunder. And then the 7mm magnums, the 300 magnums, Winchester magnums, then you've got the short magnums these days, the 338 calibers, then you get up to your uh, 4570s which you can get everything from the handy rifles um which single shot break action rifles in that caliber all the way up to uh 
you know, the the Marlin guide guns in 4570 where you've got five or six rounds of that caliber available. If you get stuff like the Buffalo bore ammo that's pretty highly loaded, that's a very potent, very powerful round, even if it does have a little bit of a parabolic arc <laughs> that you have to kind of learn when, to shoot with when you're when you're shooting with those. But um, you know, the, the, the useful calibers, uh, you're starting to get into things that may not have as much utility when you get up in the 4570s, or you get up into you know really the big almost elephant guns like the 458 <laughs> magnums and things like that, up to the 50 Browning machine gun caliber, the 50 BMG, uh, and you, you know, you've got your Bushmasters and your different, uh, things up in that caliber, which are really a very long ranged, um, you know, like the Barrett rifles that are used in Iraq for either against, uh, light skinned trucks and things like that, or for shooting bad guys from a very long distance away. But the problem is you're looking at $3,000 or, or so for, for a rifle like that. So as far as realistic, reasonable, cartridges or calibers rather uh, a cartridge coming in a certain caliber you know I, I kind of as a preparedness person or survivalist so to speak I look at what's going to be the most universal where I can get ammo for it both now and possibly in a situation where you know uh, civilization's broken down you know I find myself kind of defaulting to the 3030 the 308 the 30-06 things that have a, a broad range of applications they can be used for a lot of different things and are also available in relatively inexpensive uh, platforms. For example, you can buy a hunting rifle in 308 or 30-06, you know, for $300 if you look for something on sale. And that's more or less brand new with like one of the Marlin XLRs or the uh, Remington 770s, which are kind of a cheaper, not quite as well-made version of their of their Remington 700s. But I actually find that some of those inexpensive rifles. A Savage 110. Those are great, dependable rifles, and I would not be afraid to put, you know, if my life's on the line. I, I wouldn't mind uh, being dependent on one of those, as, as long as you maintain it well and make sure that that they're in, you know, good working order. You're going to find most of the time that those are going to be more than adequate for what you need, and you can pick one up for for not all that expensive, you know, or not that much uh, outlay of funds. Uh, other, you know, that I'm kind of talking bolt actions, I guess, when I'm talking about. 30-06 and 308s and 7mm magnums and 300 Winchester magnums and things like that. But the lever actions, good, even used Marlin lever actions or Winchester 94 type lever actions uh, or similar things are often available used for a couple hundred bucks if you know how to, to really look around and, and uh, you know you can pick up the ammo almost anywhere for those. So if you're looking for a good, dependable working gun and you don't think you're going to be having to take shots beyond a couple hundred yards, a good use 30-30 that you make sure is in good working order, it's probably going to be exactly, you know, uh, meet your needs, just again, depending, you know, on, on your specific situation. If you're out on one of the plain states or you're in Wyoming or places where you're going to have long shots uh, to, to get your food, then you probably want something that's going to be a little flatter shooting, a little longer range. Uh, something like a 270 or a 7mm Magnum might be perfect for that situation, uh, whereas it might be overkill for someone, you know, in my area that uh, you're dealing with a smaller uh little black tail or white tail deer or whatever in our area that that aren't uh, going to be really large and so for me you know a 3030 is perfectly adequate uh 
in, in most cases, and I have hunted with the 30-30 before. At the same time, if I'm in an area, uh, there's an area that I sometimes hunt that's, that a, f- a forest fire went through a few years ago, so everything's gone and cleared out, and so your shots are going to be long shots. And that's where I like the, the utility of a 308 or a 7mm Magnum. And, you know, just, I've already mentioned a, a couple models. They're the Savage 110, I think, is one of the best made and best values you're going to have. Um, I've owned a couple of those in 7mm Magnum, and my dad, uh, when I was growing up, owned one in, in 30 6 so I've always liked those. But your Winchester 70s, your Remington 700s, your Ruger um, 77s, those are all well-made. Uh, sometimes you can pick them up used for just a couple hundred bucks, and they're probably not going to let you down as long as you maintain them well. You can also buy the really high-end rifles. You, know, you can get your Weatherbees and your things like that if you have the money for it, but not everyone has that. So I suggest if you're just looking for a good dependable working gun that you can hunt with and if you had to you could use it long range um, against against bad guys but no, let's face it in most situations as long as there's any semblance of civilization around a 300 yard shot on a person's probably going to be murdered I mean that's probably not realistically something that we need to obsess or stress too much about uh, when it comes to defending ourselves, you know, how a really super long range kind of thing. But, you know, I'm not going to deny that there couldn't be situations someday that that you you could need to take a longer shot for protecting yourself. So, you know, if that's part of your calculus, then look for something uh, that will meet both your needs for for protecting yourself and for shooting long range if 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 needed for an, you know, for hunting purposes. Um now, I would like to touch on defensive uh, rifles as well. You know, there's a lot of options available, far more than when Mel Tappan wrote his book back in back in the 70s. You know, he, he didn't have SKSs available. The only ones that were in the country were probably Vietnam War trophies and bringbacks. Um, but, you know, once those started flowing in in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, you, you were now given, you and I, I should say, are now given an opportunity to, to own a very inexpensive uh, self-defense rifle that we could also use for hunting if needed um, that's, you know, tried and true and a proven design. The SKS rifle, uh, the Simonov model, uh, you know, that that's a great choice. You can still find for a couple hundred bucks and, uh, you know, you don't have to put out a thousand dollars for an AR-15 to have a good defensive rifle in your in your your closet or in your gun safe. Um, there are different models available of the SKS, and the SKS shoots a cartridge called the 7.62 by 39 millimeter, and it's almost exactly ballistically equivalent with a 30-30. So remember, I said 30-30 is a pretty good round out to a couple hundred yards. Well, uh, you can have a semi-automatic rifle in that caliber in the SKS platform and really not have to pay that much money for it. And there's an endless variety of accessories and things you can do, change out the stocks and things like that, um, available for the SKS rifle, which to me, you know, that's, that's one of the best bargains you're ever going to find in, in a firearms period. Some people don't like them. They're kind of ugly. They're a little overbuilt for what they are, but man, if, if you're just looking for an inexpensive way to have something available if you need it, um, I, I highly recommend the SKS. The model I'm most familiar with are the Norinkos, which are the ones made in China that were imported by the gazillions. But uh, there's also the Yugos, which have become much more uh, prevalent and popular in recent years. If you do decide you're going to kind of optimize it for you, um, you're going to probably want to at minimum put a butt pad on an SKS because that'll give you more the length of pull if you're an average size American. They tend to be a little undersized. Or I highly recommend uh, one of the aftermarket stocks you can get for them. Um, I don't remember the producer. I think it might be Butler Creek. I'm not sure, but 
It's basically just a, a very traditional sporting type stock, but it feels so good, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It just feels so right, uh, when, when you throw one of those, uh, buddy, uh, you know, bad boys on an SKS, um, you know, I just can't, have not found any of the replacement stocks to be nearly as good as those. There also are some replacement stocks that are kind of a Monte Carlo design, and they're just too big and heavy and unwieldy as far as I'm concerned. And then there now you can get the folding stocks or the ta- the Tapco stocks that are collapsible, and I don't have a lot of experience with those, um, but those seem like that they would be a poss- you know possibly a really good <laughs> option for you. Um, there are obviously a, a lot of other. Um, accessories you can get for SKS, and I, I just kind of jumped right into the SKS when I got to the defensive rifles. But uh, one of the best things available for them now are the Tapco 20-round magazines. There finally is a dependable aftermarket magazine for the SKS, and most of the other ones, the different brands, USA brand or whatnot, are not very dependable. I really wouldn't want to rely on them, but the new Tapco magazines seem to be pretty good. Um, and really a, a long time coming, a good dependable uh, aftermarket detachable magazine for the SKS. Now, do be aware of if you do make any changes to your SKS, you have to, you have to familiarize yourself with the 922R uh, regulations that govern, um, you know, kind of changing out and, and, you know, the parts counts that have to be on the SKSs and, and AKs and different things that are imported. Uh, you can look up online and read about 922R to find out exactly what that entails, but make sure you stay within the laws on all these things. It's just not worth it to go to club pen, you know, to the federal penitentiary or something, all because you just didn't understand something, and hopefully that would never happen, but you're still best served to protect yourself from that. So some of the other defensive rifles um, that, that are good to think about would include uh, another rifle in that caliber, the same caliber as the SKS 762 by 39 the, the Russian caliber, the AKs, and they've been coming into this country, or also there are models that are made here in this country as well. And again, I'm talking more to the American listeners when I'm saying this. These may not, any of these may not be available in your country if you're listening from a foreign land. But um, the AKs are probably one of the most dependable. You can throw them in the dirt and pick them up and dirt in the receiver and in the in the chamber. You'll still probably be able to to fire off rounds. You know, not that you want to do that, but uh, the AK platform is a wonderfully dependable platform, available in everything from the folding stock. Uh, versions like the AMD 65s, you know, from Hungary, um, to the some of the ones, uh, boy, that are you know have all kinds of different accessories and uh, the the Tapco style six position stock or whatever. You know, th- there's a lot of them available, and they're also available in other calibers now. Um, the 5.45 by 39 millimeter caliber, uh, the, like the AK74 variants. Uh, I don't know. I haven't really gotten into those as as much. I've I've uh, seen them and and they they feel pretty good. But I don't know for some reason I still prefer the 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 heavier caliber when it comes to AKs. And I'm not really an AK person. I've owned a couple and sold or traded them. And you know I just because of people's reactions when you when you have them. You know if you you were uh, to be out in public and ever have to have one uh, with you, you know, people tend to look at them and they're kind of that evil black rifle kind of aesthetic. So that's one of the reasons I I prefer the slightly more sporter looking uh, version, you know, or variants of the SKSs. Um, but AKs are a wonderful, dependable uh, rifle platform, and if if you want something that is going to be absolutely the most dependable, you know, I I would say an AK might be right what you're looking for. At the same time, AKs were probably not as you know quite as legendarily dependable 
as, as some people think they are, in the same way that the next rifle I want to talk about, the ARs, the AR platform, AR-15 variants, are as undependable as some people seem to, to think they are. And I might have just made up a word with undependable, but there are those uh, out there who say, oh, AKs always function perfectly, you know, no matter what, and ARs, you know, you, you've got to beat the, the forward assist, you know, with a stick to ever make them actually work. Or, you know, ARs are, I believe, more dependable than most people give them credit for. They typically shoot a 223 round um, or 5.56 millimeter um, cartridge which is that one I mentioned earlier when I was going through the rifle calibers and some people think that's not powerful enough our military uses it and I think on on um, short enough ranges and on uh, varmints and things like that it's actually probably a pretty good round you can also get the AR platforms in um, the 7.62 by 39 that the AK and the um, SKS rifles use, you can also get get them all the way up to the the knockoffs of the AR-10s, which are in 308. So you've got a much more powerful cartridge, but but yet you have the ergonomic feel of an AR. And lots of different manufacturers, everything from the original Colts to the Bushmasters, DPMS, Olympic Arms, and you've got lots of lot lots and lots of choices you can you can go through um, and in numerous calibers. But I I think ARs are a pretty good choice uh, for for a lot of people, especially people who don't want to deal with a lot of recoil. And, and believe it or not, even in semi-autos, the 308 can can recoil pretty good. I don't consider the 7.62 by 39 to recoil all that much. But you know, I've I've actually shot a, a foul that that kind of kicked my tail a little bit as far as the recoil from it. So you've got a lot of choices in uh, defensive rifles, and and in most cases you can also use defensive rifles for uh, sporting purposes if you needed to. Um, you know, like during during times when things are fairly normal, if you've got a five round magazine for your AR, uh, you can you can hunt in areas where that's where that cartridge is allowed for deer. You could go out and hunt with your AR in the area that I live in. If you've got a five, I think there is a limitation to a five round magazine. Um, oh, really quick, I did want to skip back to the AK platforms. There's a line of rifles called Saigas. Uh, I've heard it pronounced different ways. Um, that's Chip's version of, of pronouncing it, Saigas. It's spelled S-A-I-G-A if you want to Google it online. Uh, but they offer those in everything from the, the 5.5, I'm sorry, 5.45 by 39 millimeter um, Russian round up through the 7.62 by 39 mm, the uh, 5.56, you know, the same caliber as the AR. And they even offer the Saiga platform in 308 and also as a, as a shotgun platform in everything from 410 to 20 and, and 12 gauge. So you've got a lot of options with that AK action and it's very dependable and, you know, something you could really consider. Uh, a few other just briefly touching on things that you, you may or may not be familiar with as far as defensive rifles. Uh, the FAL is a Belgian designed, um, rifle that I actually think is one of the, one of the great rifles ever to have been made in the civilian sporterized version of it that's available in the, in the United States, the semi-automatic version, I think is a wonderful choice for a defensive and can also work you know, if you ever had to use it to procure food, you'd probably be in pretty good shape. It shoots the 7.62 by 39, I'm sorry, 7.62 by 51 or 7.62 NATO cartridge and uh, is very rugged, dependable, uh, typically uses a 20 round magazine and some of those are just outstanding. Um, the M1A is kind of the civilian version of the, of the military's old M14 rifle, which has been brought back into service in Afghanistan. That's a wonderful rifle. They're horrendously expensive, which is the only reason I, I 
I don't have one because I'd love to have one, but that can be a great choice for you as well. Uh, the AR10 that I mentioned is a 308 version of the of the AR platform, and that can be a, a great option uh, for you because you've got that power of the 308 caliber. But again, they're going to be very expensive. Now, if you're interested in other types of actions behind besides the semi-autos, and I didn't cover every semi-automatic under the sun. The Ruger Mini 14 in, in 5.56 millimeter, you know, 223, I think is a great gun. Some people think they're horrendously inaccurate, but the newer ones are supposed to be much better. I've owned both an older one and a newer one, and I didn't really find either of them to be that inaccurate, and I like the fact that they use kind of that grand action. Uh, but that's a good option for you um, if you're looking for a good semi-automatic uh, defensive uh, firearm, and there's a lot of accessories available for those as well. Um, you know, there's there's just so many options under the sun that we would spend hours talking about all of them, so I'm not going to be able to talk about all of them, but but uh, you know there are many semi-automatic rifles that would meet your needs. I would suggest you, f- you f- try shooting them, again, if you can, with a buddy who has a design that you might be interested in, and, and find out what feels best for you. For me, I love the feel of an AR. It has a, a just very comfortable feel, but at the same time, um, with the right stock in SKS, can balance perfectly for me, and and I find that those are are really you know great too. So you know, I'm kind of a SKS was the first gun I ever bought, so I'm, I'm kind of a hobbyist when it comes to them. Uh, I really like those, and I think that it, as an inexpensive option for a defensive and or working uh, rifle, they can be great. Um, you know, there's just so many options. But I was going to say, even as a defensive rifle, you may live in an area that does not allow semi-automatic rifles in a, in a different country even. Uh, even parts of the United States, there are some restrictions in places like California or New York City or whatnot. And so other actions like a bolt-action rifle might be a really good choice for you. Um, there are surplus bolt-action rifles like the Mausers, like the Mosin Nagants that have come into this country, like the the um, infields that have been imported into this country in fairly large numbers. Those are good proven uh, surplus military rifles that were used in warfare that could make a, a good option for you. And, and some of the top choices I would suggest would be some of the, the Mausers that have come in. You can get the Mausers in 308. Uh, you can actually get an old um, Ch- uh, Mauser, like the Chilean Mausers, that are not considered to be firearms um, under the, the uh, normal BATF codes. And so you can have them shipped right to your house. And, and some of them have been rebarreled to 308. But they're still considered antique firearms that do not fall under the jurisdictions of of normal guns. So um, you know that's something you can look up in Google. Um, I like some of the um, 19, like the 1916 Spanish Mausers that have been rebarreled to 308. There you're getting a very common caliber. Some people don't think they're really you know strong enough or safe enough to shoot with 308 um, cartridges in them, and maybe. It's something you're going to have to just determine for your own before you would get one. Uh, my brother has one, and uh, I, I really like it. And it's light and handy, and it's the sort of thing that if you had to defend yourself with it, you probably could, and it's available in a common caliber. At the same time, you can get those in, in the original 7mm calibers and have them be pretty good you know, rifles, and you can still pick up ammunition, surplus ammunition, fairly cheap. Um, the 8mm Mausers that are kind of like the K98, uh, you know, what the um, Germans used in World War One. World War II, uh, you can pick up those still relatively inexpensive, and those are good quality, dependable rifles. The Mauser action is a great action, and uh, those could be used as defensive uh, rifles if you needed 
needed them, and they would obviously work very well as sporting rifles or as working rifles because, well, I mean, that's basically what most of our modern hunting rifles are based on. Uh, I mentioned the Mosnin Nagants. Jack's talked about those on past podcasts, so I won't spend a lot of time with those, but those are Russian rifles that have been imported by the large <laughs> large uh, pallet loads, and you can buy those sometimes at places like... Um, well, in our area, we have big five sporting goods. They'll sometimes have those for sale for $79 or so, and you can usually pick them up for around $100. And uh, you can buy ammo for them. A 440 round uh, sealed 10 of ammo for them is still under 100 bucks. It's not as cheap as it used to be, you know, when these things were first brought to the market. But you can uh, pick up, you know, a rifle and almost 500 rounds of ammo for under 200 bucks for those and they they have a lot of kick to them there's lots of different models you can get the carbines like the m38s the m44s or the m9159s which are my personal favorites um those rifles kick quite a bit more because they are shorter and a little lighter and a little smaller but um you can you know have a good defensive rifle uh with pretty much the same performance capabilities as a 30-06. So the Mosin Nagants are a good option for you. And then I mentioned the infields. I obviously can't go into everything available, but the, the Lee infields, uh, they were imported in 303 British, and also there's a line of them that were made by India in the 60s called the Ishapur Springfields in 308. And those are a great option if you want to stay with kind of these standardized calibers. And in my mind, I always try to, I do try to stay with more standard calibers. Um, the 308s, 223s, 30-06s, 30-30s, things like that. Just because, I guess in my mind, I feel like the ammo commonality aspect does make them the best investment for me. But again, if you find that that 6.5 um, Swedish Mauser, millimeter Swedish Mauser is, you know, a, a good option for you, then by all means, you know, go for it. Um, and especially if you hand load or, or do reloading, you will find that you can have a little bit more flexibility in the calibers that you, you choose. But I just like to, to look at, you know, the most common and kind of stick with those. But the, the um, infields, let me finish that thought real quick. Those infields are a very good option for you. They're fast shooting. In fact, when they first were used in World War I, the, uh, the people across the trenches from, from the British soldiers shooting them thought they were facing machine guns because a good, a good rifleman could cycle the action so quickly that they could throw a lot of lead downrange. Um, the normal 303 uh, British infields sh- uh, have a 10-round magazine, which means they've got a pretty good capacity. And then the um, the Ishapur infields that I mentioned uh, actually offer 12-round capacity. So, you know, that's pretty good. You you do have to work the action and and whatnot manually, but that's still a pretty good option for a defensive rifle if you if you need it and and do not have access or cannot afford one of the um, semi-automatic uh, models available. Now, I would also throw in here two other actions, just really quickly. The uh, pump action uh, of rifle, which is typically thought of more for shotguns, but uh, some of the Remington, you know, Woodmaster 7400 or 7600s or whatever they're called, uh, those are uh, fast cycling rifles available in multiple calibers, ranging from 243 up to, I think, 30-06 and whatnot. Those can can uh, be, for people who like this, the trombone action or the, you know, the slide action or pump action, that can be another option, and you can sometimes get really good deals on those guys. Um, there aren't a lot of rifles available as pump actions, but you know I would say if you if you were to come across a uh, a, a good Remington pump action rifle, you know Jack I think said in one of his podcasts buy it. You know they're good they're good uh, rifles, very uh, 
dirty and actually more accurate than you would think, considering the fact that bolt action is usually the, the most accurate action you can have because the way it, it uh, locks up and everything. But um, those slide action rifles, if you can find one, are, are, are pretty good. And then uh, lever actions. We talked about those when we talked about 3030s, but uh, some of the pistol caliber carbines that, that come in um, lever actions are great choice as just a little brush gun if you're going to be out in the woods. I have a little Marlin 44 Magnum that I really, really like, and I sometimes carry it out in the woods, and, and, and it goes really well with my 44 uh, Magnum pistol. And what I like about it is ammo commonality. You've heard me say that already today, but uh, the fact that I can use the same ammo in both of them just makes it makes the logistics a little bit easier for me when I'm out in the middle of the woods. And I don't know, I kind of like that, plus I get a little bit of feeling of you know, being a cowboy, you know, I guess, <laughs> maybe... Uh, Watching those Gene Autry and Roy Rogers movies growing up had an effect on me. But the lever action can be cycled very quickly. You can throw, you know, a pistol caliber carbine in a 44 Magnum or 357 Magnum or 45 Colt. Often holds nine or ten rounds, and you can fire those fairly quickly if you ever needed to. Um, but also in, in, in lever actions, you have the 308 or the 300 Savage um, in those Savage Model 99s or in the, uh, I think the Browning models are called BLRs. Those are lever actions in, in a little bit more powerful uh, calibers than the, than the 3030s that we typically think of when we talk about lever actions. Uh, you know, those those can uh, cycle pretty quickly. A lever action can be fired pretty quickly. And if that's all that's available to you or that's all you can afford, you know, I a person who knows how to use a good 3030, you know, uh, and, and really knows how that gun, what point it fires to, and everything is is probably gonna be pretty good at, at operating that. And and I would point you to a place online. You might have to Google this also, but uh, Google an article by. I believe his name is Gabe Suarez. Uh, he's a firearms trainer and stuff. He did an article about the tactical lever action. And the reason that those are sometimes called Appalachian or redneck assault rifles. And he did a did an article. Uh, I believe it's available a couple places online. If you Google it, you'll probably find it. But on the the tactical employment of a lever action, you'll find that they can be really really good options for people that that can't afford or can't get their hands on anything else. But like anything, you know, get experience with and train and be willing to put a little bit of money into ammo so that you can go and really learn how your rifle operates and where it shoots to and and all that kind of stuff. You'll find that the thirty thirty or any lever action can be a tactical tool or a defensive tool. I don't really like that term tactical because, I don't know, I don't really see myself ever uh, getting into those kinds of situations if I can possibly help it. At the same time, I can sleep better at night knowing that if uh, the economy completely collapsed tomorrow and we started having an Argentina-style collapse or uh, if a Hurricane Katrina type event hit my area and, and living along the Oregon coast, we're very susceptible to tsunamis. I just feel a little better knowing that I've got something in my closet that if I ever had to, to use it to protect my family, I could. And I hope and pray that never happens. I, I think it would change your life if you ever had to um, shoot someone, even to save your, your children or whatever. It would just change your life immeasurably. You'd never be the same. And I hope and pray that never, ever happens. But I, I would prefer to have at least the option of knowing that, that I've got something on hand that I could utilize if I needed it.
Now, um, I've talked a lot about different types of, of handguns and different rifles, and, and I've already run, run over an hour. So I'm just going to quickly do a, kind of an overview of, of shotguns and then rimfires, and then I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. And if there is an interest, I'd be happy to put together some additional podcasts going more in-depth um, to some of these these specific things and talking at length about some of the issues you need to consider. But Let's just talk about shotguns. Jack's actually covered shotguns pretty effectively in the past. But what I would like to to do is just make sure that either the beginner person coming into preparedness who's starting to think about um, getting themselves a home defense shotgun or a, a shotgun they could use for hunting... Uh, you know, is is aware of kind of what to look for. Um, there's different actions available from the break action single shot, just like those handy rifles we talked about earlier. But uh, the break action single shot, which can be very inexpensive, up to pump actions and semi-automatics. There are bolt action shotguns, and usually they're they have about a three round magazine, and sometimes they're called goose guns or whatever. But those tend to be pretty inexpensive and for that reason alone might be worth looking at uh, for some people if you're just looking for an inexpensive shotgun. But here's here's my recommendation or thought on shotguns. And, I, and rather than going greatly in depth, because there's at least two podcasts I know that Jack's done um, on shotguns, and there's also a podcast available online uh, with Masada Ayub called the Pro Arms Podcast, and they do a wonderful and very lengthy episode specifically on shotguns. Um, but here's here's my recommendation. Uh, a while back, I went to uh, one of our local area sporting goods stores, and I purchased a Mossberg 500 shotgun. Um, and it came with two barrels. It came with a, uh, I think, believe it's an 18 or 20 inch barrel. It might be a 20 inch barrel. And it also came with a 28 inch ribbed barrel for more of your sporting applications or for hunting or whatever. And in one single uh, package, I have the ability for the longer barrel for game type stuff um, and then I also have the shorter defensive barrel if I need it. Now, for most people, and I would I would say probably 90 plus percent of people, that would be more more than you'd ever need or, or as much as you would ever need in terms of a shotgun for home defense, you know, keep it in in your home uh stored somewhere safely so your children can't get a hold of it and um you know, have four rounds or whatever it holds in in that tubular magazine. You know, with whatever kinds of of, uh, of shot loads you think is good for defense. I personally prefer a number four buckshot. I actually typically I think keep like one or two loads of number four buckshot in my in my tubular magazine as the first ones to come into the chamber if I ever had to use it, and then backed up by double lot buckshot, and then I think maybe a slug as the last one, figuring that you know I, I hope and pray I never have to use <laughs> this, but if I do, you know I, I want the ability to to stop the the threat, uh, whatever the threat is, and hopefully short of of uh, having to use um, deadly force, but you know the the simple sound of a shotgun racking. Is usually enough to dissuade most attackers from carrying out whatever nefarious deeds they might be considering. So uh, I, I really think that a good pump shotgun, a Remington 870, Mossberg 500, I've already mentioned, a Winchester Model 1200 Defender, uh, a, a Mossberg model called the Maverick 88 that's a little bit l- cheaper, uh, less expensive, that those are all good options. A good pump action shotgun is going to jam less than a um, than a semi-automatic shotgun. It's going to give you more firepower than a, either a double-barreled or a single-barreled shotgun. And really, it's going to be your best of, of all worlds. Um, and so for most people, I would recommend that you can get it in whatever caliber you're most uh, you know, likely 
going to find useful. I would say 20 gauge is good for people who are a little smaller framed or don't want to deal with as much recoil. But I always consider the fact that 12 gauge is going to be more widely available. Although usually if you find 12 gauge ammo available, you'll find 20 gauge ammo available. But um, I, I just like 12 gauge uh, because it's so ubiquitous and it's pretty much everywhere. And so that's kind of my preference. Although I did pick up an inexpensive single shot 20 gauge rifle for my wife and for my children when they're earlier to be able to, to shoot shotgun stuff with. And, and I would even buy a little 410 shotgun if I found a good price on one um, to have to kind of as a training tool and for dispatching small pests and things like that or for snakes or whatever. Um, but, you know, look, get the caliber that works best for you. But I can strongly recommend a good pump action shotgun, especially if you can get one that can have different barrels for it. Um, Jack mentioned one time about those, um, you know, the handy rifles, and he talked about those single shot rifles and how they also make single shot shotguns, the H&Rs or the NEFs, uh, they make the um, single shot shotguns, and you can get them where, where you could essentially have a barrel in 410 and 16 gauge and 20 gauge and 12 gauge and 28 gauge if you wanted to, you know, you can have single shots in all all the or barrels for a single single shot receiver with that, and uh, that might be a, a good option for you as well if you want the chance in a mad max scenario to use whatever ammo you come across. That might be an option. Uh, there are some good semi-automatic shotguns. I'd love to lay my hands on a good Saiga 12-gauge shotgun or 20-gauge shotgun. I think that would be a, a lot of fun, and they even make the big old drum magazines for those, but I just haven't been able to afford buying one of those, but that's a good semi-automatic shotgun option for you. And there's also ones like the Remington 1100s and uh, Benelli and uh, Beretta and different ones. There's lots of different choices, although you can really spend a lot of money in. I'm kind of a budget guy. I look for the least expensive option. So to me, a good uh, used Mossberg or a good Remington 870, um, especially, as Jack said a couple different times, uh, ones that don't have a really tactical appearance. If it looks like it's just your, your uh, you know, uh, bird hunting uh, shotgun and, and you ever had to use it, you're probably going to not look like some gun crazed maniac who's out looking for someone to cap with his gat, if you know what I mean. Uh, so there, there's uh, something to be said for a more innocuous appearance of a sporting shotgun as opposed to the black tactical type appearances. But you know, when it comes to shotguns, you know, there have obviously been previous episodes of the Survival Podcast dedicated to them, so there's a lot to talk about. But I can sum it up without going really in depth here by saying, you know, get yourself a good pump with a couple different barrels for it. Uh, look for screw-in chokes or, or, you know, chokes that give you more options for how to make the spread patterns be the the most flexible for what you need. And I think you're going to be well served with with just about any good um, name brand shotgun that you get that, that you would that you would ever want. Uh, you can also get magazine extensions and and different stocks and things like that. Uh, but again, then you're starting to, to add up the price. Um, I do personally like, I would love to actually get a, an old um, Lapua, you know, what? one of those, I think that's what they're called, the coach guns, the double-barreled ones that the old stagecoach guys used to have with the uh, hammers that are external from the from the gun. I think that would be really fun to have one of those with a good 18 or 20-inch barrel. But I've just never been able to afford them uh, because I, I can buy a good pump for the same price. So unless I come across one for a good price, I'm probably not going to have one of those for a long while. But I consider those to be pretty good options. I've never been into the over-under shotguns for skeet shooting and things like that, although those would be a good option uh, for you too. They balance really well, and if that's what you like, you know, by all means, that might be exactly uh, what the doctor ordered for you specifically. 
Um, so that's pretty much it with shotguns, since they have been covered previously on the Survival Podcast. And then I would like to just kind of, uh, in summation, end with 22 long rifles, and then just lastly, <coughs> excuse me, lastly, anything else, you know, as far as uh, good ideas for choosing your own survival or preparedness firearms battery. Uh, you know, guns are fun to talk about, uh, and there's a reason Jack doesn't talk about them more, because he knows they don't apply to everyone, not everyone's interested in that, uh, but... You know, it can be a fun topic to discuss or even just to listen to, you know, and I've already mentioned a couple other podcasts like the Pro Arms podcast, the Gun Talk podcast, uh, and radio show, and then the, you know, things like the Handgun podcast, um, with, I believe it's Eric Shelton hosts that. But there, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, resources out there to, to look for for firearms if you're really interested in, in these topics. But anyways, uh, let me just kind of, uh, finish off with talking about 22 long rifle, uh, as a caliber and, and as the platforms that are available in it. I consider, as Jack does, a 22 to be perhaps one of the best tools that you have available to you as a as a law-abiding firearms owner. You can use them for small game like squirrels and and possums and raccoons and things like that as has already been, you know, mentioned in the past. Um if you if you ever need to and and even food like that I think would become scarce if we were really truly in a depression type situation. But uh they're pr- great for that. They're great for learning to be a good shooter. Um, you can find uh, ammo for them still very inexpensively, uh, 500 to 550 rounds, usually for under 20 bucks, sometimes for 15 bucks or, or even cheaper if it's on sale. And you can stock away a lot of that. And who knows, in some future time frame, uh, 22 ammo might be used as coinage. You know, it might be a, a perfect barter item. So that's another reason why I consider 22s to be very, very useful. Um, they're great for um, dispatching pests. You know, if you have gophers or things that are destroying your crops and you're ever in a situation where you are completely dependent on your farming skills to have food for your family, you want something to be able to negate the threat posed by moles and gophers and things like that. I, I would highly recommend that if you can afford it, you get a 22 handgun and a 22 rifle. Um, they are usually cheap enough that you can you can find a good rifle. For example, a Marlin 60 if you want a semi-automatic, or a Ruger 10-22. They're both excellent, fairly inexpensive. You you can buy them under $200 pretty much in most parts of the country. Um, there are good bolt action. Um, uh, rifles in 22, like uh, Jack's aforementioned Model 25. I actually bought a Model 25 after hearing him talk about his <laughs> Marlin Model 25, just a little bolt action with a um, detachable magazine um, that holds about, I think, seven rounds. Uh, some of them, I think, do come with tubular magazines, as the Marlin 60 does, um, tubular magazine, but it's a semi-automatic, and the tw- 25 or the 925s or whatever, the more modern versions of them are, are um, I-, I believe some of them do offer tubular magazines. But a good 22 rifle is going to give you a lot of use um, as as I've mentioned with small game but but other other things too and and if you have um, a need you can even get really quiet ammo the CB caps or things like that the 22 shorts and things like that that you can dispatch fairly quietly um, creatures that you know might otherwise pose some problems for you 22s are more powerful than people think they are um, they you know, don't necessarily have a tremendously long range, but, uh, you know, they will do, if you, if you have the capability to employ them properly, they will do a lot of things as far as a survival uh, battery. They'll deal with getting rid of those pests that we've already spoken of, as well as getting small game, as well as uh, 
target practice in civilized times and and cheaply a way to turn money into skill. Uh, I think it's Boston's uh, Boston Tea Party's Boston's Gun Bible that says that uh, buying ammunition and, and learning to shoot with it, going out and practicing, is a way to turn money into skill. And there may not be in the times we live in it a more. I mean, there's lots of skills that are very valuable, but being a, a good shooter uh, can can put food on the table and could also possibly save your life some some day if you're in a defensive situation, which perfectly and hopefully none of us will ever be in. But 22s, uh, both in rifle and pistol platforms, are a great addition to any survival battery, and, and a pistol especially because you can have that hanging on your hip when the rifle might be leaning against the fence post, and just patch a snake or a rabbit or you know a squirrel or something and you know as far as specific models I've already mentioned in rifles the Marlin 60 and the Ruger 1022 and some of the Mossberg you know I haven't actually mentioned the Mossbergs but there's there's other Mossberg and Remington and other other companies that make 22s if you get a good uh, brand name 22 rifle you're probably not going to go wrong uh, ones like the 22 uh, 1022s made by Ruger have so many accessories and things for them and different stocks that you can trick them out with that for for a lot of people those tend to be the best options uh, you know those have been made I think 6 million plus have been made and sold in the US uh, even more of the Marlin 60s have been made and sold and uh, the 60s, you just have this little dependable rifle. Uh, you know, that's what my dad had grown up with. I used to go hike around the mountains of southern Oregon um, sometimes with carrying one of those little uh, Marlin 60s, and, you know, it, it was just perfectly comfortable to carry all day. It was light enough and hunting for morel mushrooms and things. You know, they're just great little rifles. Uh, you can also get good, uh, like the Henry lever action rifles, uh, the Rossi reproductions of the old Winchester pump action rifles. Uh, in 22, there's just so many different choices out there. And then as far as handguns or pistols in, uh, you know, pistols and revolvers in 22, you've got lots of choices. Um, Ruger makes some, um, um, there's just so many different choices. I, I really like the Ruger Mark II and the Mark II, uh, the, the, the 2245s, I think they're called, that kind of replicate the 1911 feel. Uh, I really personally like, uh, you know, get having a little 22 revolver because you can shoot the shorts out of it. You can shoot, you know, the the longs and the long rifles. You can shoot the um, little um, ones that have the shot capsules. Which personally, in 22, I don't think the little shot capsules are particularly useful. Maybe in a 44 Magnum, you know, they can do you can do a little bit with them or a 357 Magnum. But I really don't consider them all that useful in the 22 but but with a little uh, revolver you can shoot them whereas in a in a semi-automatic they might not quite be enough to cycle the action you just have to kind of see but uh, anyways there's lots of different 22 pistols uh, Breda and Taurus both make little 22 pistols that have a tip-up barrel that for someone who's elderly and has a hard time uh, racking the slides cycling the action uh, they can you know just have the tip-up barrel put the round in there and and then as long as they can get that hammer back either by single action or double action pull, you know, they, they can fire that uh, that pistol. So, you know, there's that aspect too. 22 is useful for people who, who really just can't fire anything uh, bigger in a caliber. So uh, 22 handguns as a working gun, you know, a good revolver, even semi-automatic, can be great for dispatching uh, small small creatures and can be great for target practice in the same way that the rifles can be. So uh, there's lots of different choices in there, and I probably have not named, if, if you are a gun person, I've not named your, your specific 22 that you like, but suffice it to say that 22 
the 22 long rifle caliber is so flexible and does so many different things for you that you would be remiss to not include one in your your preparedness or survival battery. Okay, so I've covered, to begin with, handguns, both working and defensive handguns, rifles, both working and defensive rifles, and uh, shotguns, and, and 22 is kind of a, a quick overview of those, and we can go in more in depth again if there's interest in that. I'd be happy to produce and, and prepare a couple uh, podcasts covering some of those things. But here it comes down to what would be, for someone who doesn't have a lot of money, a good uh, still comprehensive package of firearms that they could buy and own and and employ if they ever needed them. Well, I would say if you bought yourself a good centerfire rifle, uh, whether it's one of the highfalutin, you know, um, black rifles like an AR, AK, something like that, FAL, SKS, whatever, uh, HK, you know, uh, SIG, any of those things, if you were to get yourself... Uh, you know, a bolt action or a lever action, something that you can train with and be good with and be a good shot with. If you have one of those, one centerfire rifle, one shotgun, preferably with the ability to use it both for hunting purposes, meaning it's got a longer barrel or, or some sort of choke system that, that you can uh, employ it for uh, shooting at birds on the wing or turkeys on, you know, or small game. You know, sometimes that might be what you need for, for a s- small, you know, squirrels and things like that, too. And also have a defensive barrel for it. You know, so now we're up to centerfire rifle, number one. Number two, a sh- good shotgun in a caliber you're comfortable with and can use. A handgun of some sort, uh, you know, for defensive purposes or working purposes or both, that you can have uh, in a holster or on your person at all times in a situation where, you know, lawlessness is the is going on and if you read Furfal's book about surviving in Argentina after the 2001 Argentinian Argentina collapse of the economy and everything there, you see that to him, handguns the most important tool in the arsenal or or in the armory because it's what you could have with you at all times, and he he really puts a lot of emphasis on that. If you have a good center fire um, pistol, whether it's a revolver or an actual pistol, semi-automatic pistol that that you can have with you at all times, and whether it's in 380 ACP, 9 millimeter, 40 S and W. 45 ACP, 357 Magnum, 38 Special, 44 Magnum, 44 Special, 45 Colt, whatever. If you train with it, get good with it, um, be experienced with how it works, how to clear any malfunctions or, or anything that could come up with it, and you get some good loads for it, whether defensive or for hunting type purposes. You know, now we're up to three: a good pistol. We have uh, a centerfire rifle, a shotgun, and a good pistol. And then we finish that off with a 22 of some sort. A good 22 rifle, one of the ones that I've mentioned, um, that's dependable and and you can afford to buy. Goodness, if if you find, let's say $20, which is the higher end of what I see 22 long rifle bricks going for. You could have um, 2,500 rounds or more of ammo for 100 bucks for, of, of 22 long rifle ammo for that for that 22. And that would go a very long ways, last a long time, and possibly even be a bartable commodity down the road if needed, because 22s are so prevalent throughout the world, really, but but especially in the United States, where, where I make my residence. Um with having those four items, I've mentioned a centerfire rifle, to reiterate, a, a um, shotgun of some sort, a good defensive and working handgun, possibly, I mean, it could do both functions, but a good centerfire handgun and a good dependable caliber. And I don't know if I would really include 380 ACP on there if I would really just say 9mm and up. Um, and then lastly, a 22 of some sort. 
That's four guns that you can buy relatively inexpensively. You could probably get all of those. You could probably get a good centerfire rifle for a couple hundred bucks, a good shotgun for 200, 250, a good handgun that you could bet your life on for 300 or under, and then a good 22 rifle for as low as 100 if you bought a used uh, model Marlin 60. Um, you know, or however that would work for you. You know, you, you're not spending a huge amount of money, and you've got a pretty comprehensive armory that could meet 95% of your needs. There will be some situations you might need. You know, if you were to have your uh, survival retreat, as uh, Mel Tappan always called it, um, if you were to be wherever you are uh, in a bad situation where civilization's broken down, you would probably want as much firepower as you could get if you were besieged by a bunch of, of uh, looters trying to get your get to your stash. But you're in a lot of trouble, even if you have that powerful 308 rifle and 10, 20-round magazines fully loaded. If there's a bunch of people you're facing, you're in a lot of trouble. So don't ever think of of owning firearms as a substitute for common sense. Uh, you know, you you definitely need to think through all your other issues, and you need to get that water procured and, and a way to treat it so you always have a water supply and get that food supply um done and, and laid in hand and, and other things, tools that you need. And, you know, firearms are just tools, but they can be very important tools depending on, on your specific situation. So just to kind of summarize there, you know, four guns could do most of what you would ever need. And then if you had the money, you could buy, you know, maybe get a second, uh, a 22 pistol. Let's say you bought a 22 rifle to begin with. Now you could get a 22 pistol. Or you could get a... Um, a second rifle, you know, so that now you, know, you not only have a good defensive rifle, but you also have a good hunting rifle or something like that. Or you could look for redundancy, maybe buy a second weapon in the caliber of whatever you've originally, you know, purchased. And, and I think redundancy is always a good idea because if something breaks, you're not going to be able to run it over to the gunsmith. You're going to have to find a way to fix it yourself or do without. And that, that can be a unique challenge. So, Anyways, choosing and selecting the, the firearms as tools that are going to be best uh, serving your needs is going to be individual situation for each person. And if you're living in the snow country of Minnesota, you're going to have something different in front of you than if you live in Florida or in the American Southwest or Texas or in the Pacific Northwest where I live or in California where you have draconian gun laws you have to contend with and uh, you know, bullet buttons or whatever they're called with the locked-in magazines in, in semi-automatics in California and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but I think there's a lot available to you that wasn't available when Mel Tappan wrote his book uh, that I alluded to at the beginning of, of this conversation. And, you know, I, I consider things like the SKSs and some of the imported surplus rifles to be just amazing bargains that you can get and used Ruger, you know, P85, P89, 9mm pistols that I, I didn't mention specifically. But those are great deals you can have. Um you know, you can get sometimes. So, you know, just look around, be aware. And, and as far as actual buying options, you know, you've got your traditional go purchase from an FFL um, or from a sporting goods store. Or uh, nowadays you have the option of buying online with things like Gunbroker. I did mention the uh, regional, um, you know, uh, boards that you'll sometimes find on the internet where there are people from your state that you can sometimes buy and sell and trade with and that can be a great option too and you just want to try to look for inexpensive 
you know, or not necessarily inexpensive because you don't want to buy cheap with something that your life could depend on, but something that's going to be the best value for your money. And I think you'll find that that's available to us. We, we really live in a golden age right now where there's more options than ever, and we're still in a situation where the restrictions and, and regulations have not been put on us, where we're really restricted, as even was the case during the, the um, so-called assault rifle ban, assault weapons ban of the, of the uh, mid-90s and the to the early 2000s. So you've got, right now is a great time, and, and my brother and I have both said this to each other before, this is the good old days. Go out now, take advantage of right now is when we have the ability to procure and, and get our hands on things that we might need for the rest of our life. So now's a good time to do it. And while I share Jack's viewpoint of not being a real tinfoil hat type person, you know, I, I do recognize things have happened in the past that change quickly, cause change quickly, and that could happen in the future. You know, like in Hurricane Katrina, where you did have law enforcement people going door to door and taking firearms from law-abiding citizens and things like that. And hopefully that'll never happen. But uh, you know, now is a good time where you can buy these things and, and get get uh, yourself uh, prepared and supplied. Uh, you know, for kind of an unknown, unforeseen future. So again, my name is Chipmunk, and I uh, asked Jack if I could bring and kind of share these things with you, and hopefully it'll be something that's helpful for some of you. Some of you, it might be completely redundant or things you already have experience with, but I do think that we can always learn something and, and maybe be turned on to a, a new option we hadn't considered. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask Jack to put a couple links to specifically some of the references and to some of the online resources that I've mentioned. And also a reference to that book that I'm kind of writing online that will eventually be available as a PDF. I'd like to make it available for the Survival Podcast listeners and maybe do hard copies of it for, for people who would like to have something they can tangibly hold in their hand to read about as well that, that I'd like to make available. So anyways, uh, with that, I'm going to sign off. Uh, thanks again to you, Jack, for the opportunity to, uh, to to share and talk about some of these things that are kind of fun to talk about. And good luck with... with uh, you know your own for to everyone out there who's listening your own choices in in deciding how to to prepare as far as everything you do but specific to this episode to your firearms um, purchases good luck with it and i can be reached at the following email address cmtrek at juno.com that's c-m-t-r-e-k at juno.com if you have any specific questions or would like to to have any recommendations fire me off an email and I'll be more than happy to give specific ideas or things beyond what I've covered here and, and uh, give you feedback You know, with the caveat that it's just my opinion and I don't consider myself an expert I'm just a shooter who's been around some of these things for a long time, read everything I could on the subjects and, and uh, find it kind of interesting to you know talk even if you and I we're just sitting down at, at a pizza place somewhere with a pizza in front of us and some sort of beverage. <laughs> I don't drink alcohol myself, so it'd have to be a soda for me. But, you know, you with your whatever your favorite uh, brewed item is, you know, we could we could discuss these things and it'd probably be kind of an enjoyable conversation. And I hope that this has been something like that today for you, too. So, again, thanks for the opportunity, Jack. And everyone stay safe. Revolution is you.